Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very exciting episode of Relating to DevSecOps, where we explore the development, security, and operational issues of today so that we can solve real-world problems on the ground with people that actually face them. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, comment, rate, and send feedback so that we can continue to bring you the content that matters to you. I'm Ken Toller, and I'm joined again by Simon Dolo from the engineering side of the house. Now, I know it's been a while since we've all been together, but... Work got the best of us a little bit at the end of Q1, and we're kicking it back into gear. But I want to take a minute to thank our listeners for tuning in to John's episode at the beginning of March because we had a really great conversation, and apparently you all did too. And um, we got some great lessons and feedback, and it was one of our best-performing episodes across the board. So today, we're going to jump into something that's um, a little bit different, I guess. We've talked a little bit about it in some previous um episodes before, but now we're, we're diving right in, and that is the world of microservices. Now, microservices can be a bit of a loaded word these days because just like DevSecOps, it um, has different definitions depending on who you talk to. And as we were uh, discussing in the pre-show a little bit, um, when you talk to engineers or um organizations about whether or not they are leveraging or using microservices, uh, they they may say yes, but um, might be carrying a different definition than, than you have in your head. And I think it's a, it's a really pertinent topic to DevSecOps because in the world of containers and APIs and the split of the application architecture, uh, they become more and more relevant, especially as you're going to things like Kubernetes and service mesh and things that we've discussed at length. So I thought it might be good to just take a step back and understand uh, what we mean, why we use it, how we can interact with it, um, and make sure that uh, you know we're collaborating effectively across the board. So, um, Simon, the question here really is, you know, why in your opinion, do organizations or people in general move towards microservices? What is the benefit? And what's your opinion on on sort of working through this, uh, either as a buzzword or just uh, as a as a general definition? Yeah, I mean, I I think you you mentioned that you know microservices is a a buzzword. I I somewhat agree to that. Um, I think it's been a little bit more loosely defined as the years go by, just to accommodate things. But when I think of a microservice, it's something that lets engineers uh, iterate faster. And there's there's a lot of caveats to that. You know, you mentioned like, oh, there's a legacy app. Um, and we're going to call that a monolith. I honestly don't fully agree with that. Uh, you know, microservices are made to be something where you can iterate fast on something that serves a very specific purpose. Again, uh, a very specific purpose is is defined to the group that you're working in, right? And that can change. And that's something that you want to ask yourself: um, Does this belong in a microservice? And the reason why I don't think monoliths are always um, a legacy application is um, sometimes they make sense. Sometimes you know you've got this crazy. Um, front-end application that you spend a really long time iterating on, making sure it's performant, making sure that the requests that it, it, it sends out are good. And it could be hairy and messy, but ultimately, um, you know, 
hairy and messy in the, t- in the sense that it's grown to a large application. But if, if it's, you know, well-documented, written well and performant and, and fine, like there's, there might not be a reason to break it out. The, the reason why microservices is so attractive to people is you can really start isolating tracks of work and making them more independent from each other. So if you're good at, you know, making sure things are backwards compatible, you can start to isolate functionality and break it out into pieces that you understand and abstract them where, you know, you can focus on piece A, you may not know how piece B works. But if you can call it and you've got the contract set up, you can move on with your life and everything's good. Um, I imagine, you know, as I'm saying this in the security end, I'm almost saying like, hey, this is hard mode for, you know, application security because now you've got 500 different little pieces that are communicating with each other. And it is ultimately up to the engineering org to provide um, specific things like standards and, um, you know, effective uh, uh, guidelines across teams to make that a little bit easier for your end. Um, or I think that's the the piece where it gets a little bit scarier to people when they think of microservice architecture. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that microservices architecture is inherently scary. It's just that when any when there's any innovation in how we approach applications, typically, and as is the case with most microservice implementations that I've seen, security is not involved at the time we're developing requirements for this application. I mean, this is an age-old problem. And so if you're telling me from the security perspective that, hey, look, I'm going to create this application. We're going to get you involved early. It's going to be a, a small consumable piece or function or whatever. Um, then I'm, I'm actually excited about that because it means that I have less to think about from a security perspective. I can focus my efforts. I can I can really work within that to make more effective business specific security recommendations and i can even start to isolate components of security across the board like authentication or authorization into a, its own microservice i think that where it breaks down is when security is not involved in in the beginning of that development process or that movement to a microservice or when we start breaking off pieces of the application and that's that's when it gets scary. Yeah, I, I think that's what makes. I mean, I agree. I, that's what makes microservices scary. It's, it's really easy to jump the gun and get started. And I, I've seen microservice security assessments where, like, product engineering brain is hitting in, and everything is so simple for me now. Whether you are using a standardized framework or something, really, all like my brain goes to. Let me tell you the the two endpoints that are in the service. Like, it serves one purpose. Its purpose is X. That's all you need to know. Uh, and, that, and that's not the case. I've, I've isolated the rest of the things. You know, what's the lineage of your request? Where is it going? Um, did you just go ahead and instantiate, you know, a database from scratch, just like every other microservice that you might be using? What framework are you using? Um, what sort of like uh, REST endpoints are you hitting? What you know, there's so many things that it's it's so easy to just like set it and forget it. Not like calling out those old 1-800 commercials, but um, you know it. It's so easy to just not think about those things as a product engineering because your velocity is so much faster. Um, so it's really up to your engineering organization to make sure that you know all of these these services at least have some sort of baseline that we can tie to. That way, you know, if if you're asking me about how this is going to interact with the rest world, I should be able to answer that to an extent. Um, and that's the whole point of microservices. You're turning you're turning the concept of a system into almost a one liner, and and you can you can pass that to you. And if if I need to help, you know, carry that across, I can. 
Right. So what is, what does that mean? What is that what is that fundamental building block of a microservice that we reduce these applications to as a um as just that, a building block? Because in the world of serverless as an example, and you talk about functions as a service like an AWS Lambda, you can see that I can reduce this to a single method or a class or something along those lines. But when we talk about a microservice, sometimes you have pretty large microservice applications uh, versus something that's very small that is performing this function. So what it, what is it? Is it a business function? Is it a function within the application like uh, create operation? Is it a set of operations? What's that look like for you as an engineer? How do you make that work? I, I almost always think of it as a, um, I, I really want to go down to like CRUD functionality. So, you know, if you're looking at microservices and CRUD is, you know, create, uh, read, update, and delete. So, you know, you really should be focusing on one functional product aspect. So if you're dealing with maybe documents, uh, you know, a microservice will read documents. It can delete them. It can create them. Um, and, and again, this this doesn't always apply. Uh, the, the definition of microservice is, again, loose for this reason. But that's my my personal opinion. I, I think, honestly, like a Lambda function might be a little bit too uh, minutia might be too in the details to, for me to call it a microservice. I think that's that's much lower than that. But it's it's a service that encapsulates func- encapsulates functionality for like one object or or um, yeah or, or or crud endpoint. It's like what data are you dealing with and how are you manipulating it? Taking it one level higher, you know, if you need someone that's figuring out what to do with those objects, I would say that's a new microservice. So. I create, I delete, I update. I don't really know what I'm doing. That's just my purpose. One level up, I'm choosing when to delete. I'm choosing when to update. I'm choosing when to create. I make that choice. Do I have the power to do so? No, I do not. I just tell people to do that. And that's that's how I look at microservices. So how can, how can someone think about building on that? So it sounds like you have this in your head, you have this base layer of database operations or object operations, I should say, create, read, update, destroy. And then maybe you have another layer of something that's business specific um, functionality, like what you do with those particular objects that you've created. And then, I mean, would it make sense to have like a voter microservice if you wanted to capture everything that a voter can do um, in a particular district like you're creating them you're reading them you're updating you're destroying them you're providing functionality for them to use uh, casting the ballot whatever is that too big for a microservice or are you really sticking to that mentality that every single operation should be its own microservice. Like there should be a create microservice and a read microservice. I mean, I hate to say it, but that really depends on on like where where the value is in terms of being able to develop and be able to iterate upon that. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen situations where companies really do take the the just 
minutia microservice concept very seriously and everything has its own separate instance that just deployed somewhere um, it may or may not have its own database instance other times like you really need to consider is it worth breaking these out into something does it make sense just to maybe keep it in its own application and it's not just from an engineering perspective you know you're going down to cost at that point you know how many instances of this do you have running like what's your traffic does it really make sense to break this apart in terms of functionality um, from a new engineer if you're looking at this does it make sense to pull out the crud functionality or is it easier for an engineer to look at this and say oh here's the business logic in the service in this class here's the actual you know over the wire request, it needs to be together for me to understand it. It's really something you need to look about, look at in terms of like for me, what, where is the the engineering confusion and where you, can you reduce that? I, I I I would not introduce abstraction for the sake of abstraction here. Right, and I, I do think that that abstraction for the sake of abstraction does get people wrapped up in. Um, trying to break things down that don't necessarily need to be. But I do think that that's one of the things that really frustrates me about the uh, microservice movement, so to speak. And, there really and that's <laughs> that there might be some out there, but I haven't really seen it apply like this specific systematic way to approach like what makes sense to create as a microservice within your organization how you can make that decision in a in a measured way for for you and your organization and because there is no systematic way that's why we end up with this this difference of opinion across the board so i guess the question to you is you know how do you approach that when you are looking at uh, a suite of applications or maybe a large application, how do you choose? Okay, well, we're going to take these things and we're probably going, it's probably going to make sense to make these functions as a service. Let's let's like go to serverless for this versus we're going to take this set of applications and break them up into microservices because keeping this all together is, is slowing us down or whatever. What's your process for analyzing what to do with an application when you're monetizing it I don't know what that word was, modernizing it or refactoring it. Because I can say that from my perspective, when I think about how we look at microservices, we also have to consider the security ramifications of creating this microservice. Because in general, you're going to be moving faster. Um, you have some guardrails in place, perhaps around compliance or around your governance or just around your security maturity model that you want to maintain through this microservices architecture when you're making a change. And, and sometimes you're not equipped to do that. So it's very important to understand what changes in the security landscape, whether that's your scanning and testing, whether that's your threat modeling or your security requirement process or how you go through your design process. If you're making this shift from large monolithic, um, longer form process to this faster, more iterative uh, microservices process, it's essential that security is embedded into that, perhaps through your CICD or at the very least that they're involved with um, the whole thing. Yeah, there's there's a there's definitely a piece to security compliance here that I would I want to call up, but it's always 
if I were to essentially clone a piece of our architecture or pull it out, um, will it will I be better off in terms of just having less of the non-business logic um, be a part of my workload? And, and one example I really want to call out that I've seen done really well in the past is authentication between applications. Um, I One of my biggest... Uh, reasons for following microservice architecture, if done well, and you have a good kind of framework built on your applications, is if I spin a new service up that's completely new, can I start calling other endpoints that I need relatively easily? Um, on top of that, can I understand that I'm authenticated to them easily? And and that's where microservice architecture, I think, is is like just the straight up winner. You can build a new application with new functionality, test it out locally, and know that you're hitting these other endpoints because you're all following the same contract. The authentication layer is already put in place for you. You know, just provide like client secrets and you're just kind of done out of the box. Um, and that kind of goes with everything in terms of like client connections and everything like that. Specifically looking at business logic. Um, yeah, it's, it's just use. It's, it's, it, I hate to say it, but it's just based on the business case. If, if it makes the life of the engineers easier, do it. If you see the same problem coming up again and again and again, and, and, one of the, the bigger things for monoliths when you look at it is is pull requests, honestly, is if you if you see a pull, a pull request just hang for days and it hangs there because of, um, you know, just rebases, constant rebases because there's other code that's getting in the way or just complexity of other things they don't understand, like, you should pull that out. Like, that's not something that they should be wasting their time on. Engineers should be empowered to focus on the business logic that they're comfortable with. Right. I, I do think that that is the benefit to the engineer, right? That they have less to worry about, right? You you want to create something, uh, you start the work on it, and you don't have to necessarily consider all of the ramifications upstream and downstream of your change. But I think the thing is that from the security perspective, like we still do. Yeah. So I think that there's this interesting balance, right, between making something simpler and more, um, well, easier to to manipulate and, and, and understand and work with, um, and then adding the security onto that. Now, the really exciting part is that when we add security to it or we incorporate security into it, we can take this concept <laughs> of security services and really expand on that and make sure that things like authentication authorization or file uploads or um, application inventory through service mesh and all these things that we are traditionally struggling with can become almost automatic because now uh, security has a, a similar footprint with the sidecar type of containers or these sort of um, security service applications. And that to me is the really exciting part. But again, it, it comes down to two things. One is making sure that security is involved early, which I, I'm going to continue to say probably, probably every time I get to speak. And then it's like more on the DevSecOps side is security needing to be more involved with the development and operation of services that make a difference in their overall framework. And, and that's really important is that we're a part of that process too. Um, and that will help us to um, provide security as a service, which is which is really nice. Uh, 
Now, the other thing that just like sort of came to mind that I that I want to draw on it, just in the microservices uh, sort of world, and and I'm mean, just naturally I'm thinking about containers and what that looks like is is dependencies, and that might be like your um, container dependencies or your operating system dependencies or your other application dependencies and making sure that um, you know those are taken care of as well. So I guess my question to you is, you know, when you move to this microservices ecosystem and now that you have all these isolated applications, there's a certain level of maintenance that you're going to have to um, work through as well uh, that in some cases might be expanded. So how do you deal with dependencies in a world where you're no longer, you may not have like the legacy issues where you're like way behind on versions, but now you have multiple applications with different types of dependencies or different sets of libraries um, in isolation? How would you deal with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I think security dependency specifically is a little bit of an edge case and I do want to cover that, but the whole point of microservices again is is they should be independent, right? They there should be a baseline of understanding, and I, I think that's where I'm a little bit better off um, than you when it comes to figuring out like you're entering a world of microservices. Where do I start? There should be a baseline of dependencies that are just this is how our org operates. Um, I should be able to spin up an app fairly confidently that I don't understand. I should know how some of its integrations work, which is why it's easier for me to kind of deep dive another application. There's I can spin it up and really just kind of figure it out. Oh, I got this error. Well, you know, I've spun up a similar app. Let me just fix this, tweak this config, add this. The problem is you you don't have that exposure. So the the fact that like, oh, don't care about dependencies is no longer an issue. You need to care about the dependencies. And where I think coming from the security side, a, a, a good benefit is you solve it for one, you solve it for all. And in, and and if a if microservice architecture is, is set up in a good way, that should be the case. You should be able to come with the same language to all microservices and say, I've seen this impact, this is the fix. It should be shared across all other systems. You shouldn't have to care what the system does. They should all behave the same way. If they're not, that's obviously a different situation. But that's the whole point of dependency management in microservices. They're shared, they're shared but independent. So if you can fix it for one, it should be relatively easy to fix it for all. Yeah, I I sort of agree with that. That that's sort of a loaded question though, right? I mean We'll we'll sort of pause on the upstream and downstream dependency thing for a moment, but and just focus on something like I don't know, like operating system dependencies or library dependencies. So when we talk about those, you have these applications that are separated, and so as you look at each application individually, they should all work together so that if you spend time updating a single application. It should be easier to update that application, and that application should always function with the other applications as long as the other applications operate as they are expected, meaning that I can interact with that API and I have the the swagger or whatever, and, I, and I'll always be able to interact with it in a measurable way, even though my application is way updated and up-to-date and yours is you know falling way behind. But... Then we get into this really weird area where because one application can move so fast, some of these applications that maintain a, a, a legacy footprint or are always working, or maybe they don't have the, the sexiest features 
maybe they're just, um, you know, functional applications or utility applications, they don't get the same love as the as uh, some of the more feature-rich or more front-facing applications. And so that you get into this weird area where one application becomes way, way behind, even though it's isolated and, and, and has the capability to be updated more frequently. And so I think that as, as long as we maintain the concept of moving forward, like we can continue to, to operate in this way but as soon as we sort of start to let one drag behind, it it starts to be sort of a scary area. We get into the same sort of problem where one, there's one very weak application in the application suite, and the rest are, are moving forward. But you know we need to make sure that they're all moving forward together. And because there's no hard break to that application, you know it's designed to always be working in that isolation. If it falls significantly behind, it really goes unnoticed to the rest of the application suite at times. And then when it does hard break, you're in a weird situation. Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, that, that in, in truth is the biggest frustration of microservices. Uh, when, you're, when you're dependent on just the perfect world, it's really hard to want to go and fix that rogue sheep that just continues to be a pain. And I'll, I'll say I've been in that situation several times and my, my inclination is to just nuke it. Um, it when it comes to microservice architecture, it's, it's really that like the Borg collective, like you need to become one of us or else you're, you're stuck. Um, you know, and it's not, I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like I, the, and it seeps into everything. It doesn't even just seep into security. It's, it seeps into DevOps as well. You start making edge cases for this, you know, these applications. Well, application Bob needs these specific settings because it's not on our microservice architecture. Oh, you can't do it to this box because it's needy and it has this and this. Oh, it's in this language. So you have to call it a certain way. And you just keep adding all the exceptions because they're faster than just addressing the problem that if you want to build on this and, and fix it, like it's going to take some time. Um, but, but honestly, like going back to my initial claim of, hey, microservices are faster and you can develop faster. When push comes to shove, it's better to just, or it's faster to just iterate on that old application until it just finally gives in uh, and then you pay that toll. But it, it's, it's a tough conversation. That is, that is definitely the, um, the breaking point when it comes to microservices. It's tough. Yeah, and you know that's a great point. And for the security folks listening, I mean that is one of the tacks you can take, right? Is to uh, work with your engineers to to use this lack of updating a an application and the move to microservices as a reason to drive um, the refactoring of the app or the redevelopment of the app. You know, when it gets to a certain point. You know, the engineers came to you, they said, we're going to do microservices, we're going to be able to iterate faster, just as Simon said. So, okay, let's do it. Let's iterate faster. And, you know, it, it shouldn't be that difficult to take this microservice and redevelop it. Let's get it into a couple of sprints and, and do it, knock it out. Yeah, and and like I, I've said, I've said this several times, but the, one of the hardest sells is you know, you are in this microservice architecture that lets you spin things up fast. What if, what if there is a way I could spin up an application that is quick to build on where I can slowly take off some of this functionality? And, you know, if it fails, I can fall back to this old monolith application. That's totally possible with microservices. 
Just saying. It's a thing, um, but it's hard to sell because, you know, why do you why do you want to waste that much time reproducing code and moving it over when it's, you know, the business case is it's working. It's working as it is. And if we can keep going, why not keep going? It's a tough sell. Well, in the spirit of selling things to uh, other teams, one of the things that I wouldn't want to leave a microservices episode without addressing is putting it onto security to provide some of the security functions that we mentioned and to focus on those as they go into these conversations around microservices to make it easier on developers. Because I think one of the biggest things is that when we're making these shifts to faster um, methods of working or ways of developing applications or whatever, a security falls behind, not just because we're not supported, but because we don't take it upon ourselves to 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 sort of work with within the the bounds of these new technologies and things. We we sort of think we are, but we don't take the effort to develop them. So security engineers, you know, take some time to figure out how you can add some of these uh, security services or secure coding guidelines or whatever. You know, like if if you're handling file uploads, like maybe it would be a good idea to um, work with your engineering teams or develop it yourself as a proof of concept on um, making this a service for your developers and just say, anytime you're handling file uploads, use this security service. You take it upon yourselves as a security team to maintain and update that service uh, and, and work alongside and live the engineer's life so that you're essentially, you know, eating your own dog food around security and process and pull requests and peer reviews and security reviews. And, you know, then you can not only provide a service, but, but live the pain and understand what engineers are going through alongside of it. And they would probably be, um, you know, more willing to, to help you out as well, you know, going through that pain. I, I love that idea. Yep. I, I think that is like the, the bridging gap between us. It's like, just have it out of the box. Like engineers or product engineers love nothing more than to just like debug and have things working. So if it's just like a warning or suggestion upon build, Hey, you forgot to do this, go add this in. Like it, it I don't, I mean, at least for me, just speaking on my behalf, that would never make me like, Oh God, another thing I have to add. And it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot. I did this in the last five ones. I should just learn to do this better. And you just move on. You do it. Uh, I totally, I totally love that idea. So we've been going for a while now and uh, we're wrapping it up, but you know, Simon, uh, that's sort of my two cents and takeaway is that security can become more of an enabler here, but anything you want to add uh, to the world of microservices from the engineering point of view that you want to get out there to yeah, engineers or security to, to sort of focus on or to keep in mind while they're working in microservices? No, I mean, I think just the theme that resonates is, is keep it standardized, keep it consistent. And, and just like everything, like the microservices are a tool to make things easier. You still have to maintain it. You still have to care about it. If you want to add something new like security, like it's going to be a little bit of work. It's not just going to be this magical fairy that comes and is like, oh, microservice, everything's great. Like you got, you have to put in the effort. And once it's there um, and you've got like senior engineers who have got it in a good shape, it's it is empowering and it's worth it. Um, and it's I think it's time to get more security engineers and SecOps like involved in microservices because I think there's a big gap there in what we can leverage um, and just making things more streamlined. 
Great. Yeah, well said, man. Well, that sort of wraps it up for this evening. Uh, again, thank you all for tuning in and getting to the end of the episode. Uh, we really uh, enjoyed sort of get, getting back into uh, a more technical topic. We've uh, we've come a long way since we started last year, and we really appreciate everyone tuning in to listen. As always, if you feel like you want to send us some feedback or get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter at R2DSO. Uh, you can send us an email to security at r2dso.com um, or you know just hit us up uh, dms or, or however you feel like getting a hold of us as always thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs>